in. Welcome in to another episode of the Q Crew. We're here to talk about the beginning of a really great documentary, The Last Dance. We're going to go through the first six episodes. We're not the best podcast we should have been on for the first two, the first four. But you know what? Uh, we, we might have been late to the party, but we're making sure we're going to finish strong. To do that, I brought in my one of my favorite people to talk basketball with, or at least argue basketball with. Colin Wright, how's it going, Big Colin? Good. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to doing this. We did some sports movies. Now let's do like a little bit of sports TV series. Yeah, it's a, it's a. Once you get into the documentary field, I mean, uh, we could do this all day. There's a lot of good. Uh, I I have not watched the Thirty for Thirties in a while. I know there's still a bunch of good ones. I know Bill Simmons started doing uh, the different HBO docs. I did watch Andre the Giant, and if you have any interest in that. I don't care if uh, it came out like a year ago. We'll just randomly do a Andre the Giant podcast. Um, but he, he did one, I think it's called Women of Troy, that I, I heard good things about and need to watch. So we could just do a bunch of podcasts about various sports documentaries. Uh, I'd be perfectly fine with that. But this is, this is the one that's caught everybody by storm. This is the one that people are talking about that is filling that, uh, you know, that hole in their life due to uh, coronavirus stay-at-home orders, keeping everybody inside due to sports not uh, being able to be played in any capacity at this point. And, you know, people people needed something. And I'm not going to, you know, uh, fault them for getting so excited about this, even though there's very little in this documentary that's a surprise or is new. Uh, it's maybe to a new generation, anybody who uh, wasn't at least a, a young kid watching a little bit of Jordan, uh, th- this might be just brand new for them, and it's really good. But, yeah, they, they, there's not anything groundbreaking. This is a documentary signed off on by Jordan, so nothing that's going to put him in too bad of a light, yet somehow you get around to these last few episodes, maybe a little bit. Colin, uh, t- talk to me uh, uh, about – uh, what you find to be compelling enough to get you to click on ESPN and decide I'm going to watch The Last Dance, a Jordan documentary. Well, I was already looking forward to it. I know it's funny. It's been a year and a half. I think it was December of 2018. ESPN showed the first commercial kind of teasing it, like coming in 2020, a documentary. All we knew was about, it was about the Bulls and in the final season that Jordan played in Chicago in 97, 98. So I was excited. And then once about the second week of March hit and there was a 24 hour period about every sport got canceled. Um, then I was even more excited because I didn't know what a March without March madness was going to be like until I had to live through it. And then of course you go into April when you expect the masters and you expect the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, and you get none of that. So when you have a documentary about uh, something that's nostalgic, I, I grew up in the 90s, you know, and as a kid watching, being a sports fan, that's what you did every June. You know, I, I'm not old enough to remember Michael's first three-peat, but I remember his second three-peat. So just seeing the Bulls in the late 90s, and I was someone who, this probably won't shock you, I was not a Bulls fan in the 90s. Uh, I usually take whatever the best player is in a sport and I just cheer against him because I, I like the no. underdog. Except for Tom Brady. That's the exception. But we won't go there. Um, not but, not so, this moment. Maybe in a little bit. <laughs> so watching The Last Dance has been fun because you're right. It's not a lot of groundbreaking stuff. It's stuff we're familiar with. We know what years Jordan got his six rings. We know who his teammates were. Like We know how valuable Pippen and Rodman were. And we know Steve Kerr and John Paxson were going to be clutch when they needed to be. 
but it's been fun to see kind of how everyone has embraced it and watched it and kind of it's talked about Jordan in a way he hasn't been talked about in a little while. Um, Cause I mean, yeah, he owns the Charlotte Bobcats and yeah, everyone knows that Jordan's shoes are, but as far as Michael Jordan, his face, his image, he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Like he's not out there like some guys are. And so it's really interesting to see him have honest conversations about what it was like being Mike when he was for, I would say about a decade, the most popular person in the world. Like if you ask anyone across the world, name the most famous person you could think of. I feel like in the nineties, Michael Jordan's name would have been number one. Um, and so that's, that's been really fun to watch. Yeah. And not just uh, the most popular in the nineties, but uh, revolutionize the game, the the level of celebrity that you see with players, uh, whether it was Kobe, you know, RIP, whether it was LeBron, uh, these players have that level of uh, acclaim due to Jordan being able to expand the game. When you see players visiting China and you see how much the game has grown internationally, that's entirely due to Air Jordan. That's entirely uh, what he brought to the game, not only being uh, – the the uh, the best player that you know won six championships over the course of eight years but also being a guy who was that level before he won a championship he was so good at the game and was somebody who was charismatic enough to continue to push the game in a way that there were people overseas uh you know, tuning in in a way that they hadn't before and you know uh, when we talk about the fact that this documentary didn't put anything new that's still you don't need anything new to get you excited about Jordan and watching his career uh sometimes as a documentarian you might want to spice it up a little bit and you know play with the genre which uh is something they do uh as a comparison uh this last week I finally convinced my wife to watch season one of True Detective with me uh so that show, if you watch, uh, one of the big things is that you'll hear it a lot is time is a flat circle. And one of the things they do in the show to, to you know, meet with that uh, analogy is they jump around a lot. It is a document, documentary style where uh, at the different points uh, in the life of these two detectives, they're being interviewed on camera and you kind of have the years. And the only way to really tell uh, what year you're in is Woody Harrelson's hairline and similar in the last dance, except Jordan got rid of his hairline pretty quickly. So he's just bald. It's hard to tell what year you're in. The only way you figure it out uh, is when he gets a, a little chubby and his face is puffy and red eyes and no, that's not a trip to Vegas in the middle of the season. Not a trip to Atlantic City in the playoffs. Uh, that's just Jordan. He's getting old and it happens. But the way they shot it, I thought was – at first, I didn't like it. At first, like the first couple episodes, people were just so excited for anything that you saw a lot of the, the Twitter buzz, and then i tune in and watch it. And it's not that it's bad, but it was just kind of – it's like this is a normal documentary. And then when it kind of jumped around, you were just kind of like, what are they trying to hit? You know, like there usually if you're doing episodes, you're either going in chronological order or you kind of find a theme for each one. And the first couple episodes, I was confused at what the theme was. And then you start getting to the next set and all of a sudden you're like, this is actually really good. And it's not only a theme per episode, it's building on what they told you in the last one. And then by these last five and six, you're just like, holy crap. Now I'm in it to win it. 
uh, I, I'm excited for the story they're telling and he did it in such an amazing way. Like I, I was surprised at how good it was, particularly with the, the fact that this is a documentary that has been rubber stamped by Jordan. So if he wanted to keep the bad things out, I mean, he can keep as much of those out as he wants. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I forget the guy's name. It's like James O'Hare or something like that, that did the documentary. He did a magnificent job. This is one of the better documentaries that I've seen where the, the source material is right there and has the ability to censor what you put out there. The fact that he was able to meet the, the Jordan brand of approval and still tell a captivating story and do it in a way that was more than just rewatching Jordan's highlights. I, th- I thought he did an amazing job. Yeah, I think that it's it, the first couple episodes, you realize it's going to jump back and forth. And so I know it's bothered some people. Like chronologically, it doesn't always make sense, but at least they'll give you a little graphic usually going from 1998 to 1985. So it gives you a little bit of a heads up like, okay, we're going to take you back in time when Jordan was just in his first or second year in the league and it talks about different things and the one thing that it has done a good job of is it it did talk about his teammates it talked about Rodman and Rodman when he was at Southeastern Oklahoma State University and what that was like and then even Pippen when he was at Central Arkansas or whatever and so you learn about these guys before they were on the Bulls and before they were you know teammates of Michael to help him win championships and of course you know Rodman with the with the Pistons and the Spurs he was already having a great career like he had already had, he already had rings. Like he already had a lot of success. He didn't have to play for the Bulls, but um, you know, I, I, we'll we'll get into J- Jerry Krause and uh, and some of the decisions that Jerry Krause made that were controversial, um, including after Michael got his fifth ring in '97, he essentially told Phil Jackson, "You have one year." Um, I think he wanted him gone then. They probably negotiated him. Phil said, "Give me one more year." So Jerry Krause knew going into 97, 98, like, all right, Phil, this is your last year and then you're gone. I'm going to hire whoever I want. Um, and, you know, you can criticize a lot of the decisions that Jerry Krause made and that's very easy, but he also made some good draft picks. You know, he drafted Pippen. Um, he traded for Rodman. He traded, you know, he, he made some decisions to build a really strong team. And we all know how good Jordan was, especially in the playoffs. But I would say, you know, the one thing that surprised me the most about watching this is seeing how, how good Jordan was in the 80s. Like, we know how good he was in the 90s, but me, I, didn't, I wasn't old enough to watch him in the 80s, so seeing him put up 57 against Boston or just seeing some of the moves he made and how he could score from anywhere. Like, when he was going up against Bird and Magic and some of the best and the bad boys and the Pistons, like, yeah, they might have lost in the playoffs, but Jordan was the best player on the court in, at any night. And so that was really cool just to see – for how, how long he was the best in the world before he ever got his first ring. So that's what surprised me the most. What's been the one that surprised you the most? Ooh, I think it was the, the Scottie Pippen, like it's not a heel turn, but it is Scottie Pippen, like just ripping into Jerry Krause. Cause you know, I, I always knew about the dysfunction that they had, but Scottie Pippen is just kind of this really low key guy. You see him go on like NBA 
jump and try to be a commentator. And it's just really hard because whatever, uh, you know, insight he brings in due to his playing career, due to his basketball knowledge, he's just not a showman. He's not a guy who pops off the screen. And to, to see him be the, the biggest aggressor towards the Jerry Krause hate, uh, it, it makes perfect sense when you look at the, the contract situation he got stuck in and how their relationship kind of built up over those years. But I was still amazed by how brutal he was verbally to Jerry Krause. That was the that was the one that was like, holy crap! Like, I, I guess I didn't know this story as well as I thought I did. Yeah, and, and there there's a few video clips that's shown of like Jordan and Pippen and some of the guys like to to Jerry Krause's face, not behind his back, to his face. They'll make comments like making fun of him and belittling him. And I'm like, that's your boss, like. I know he's not the owner, but he's a general manager. He calls the shots. Like, if you're the GM of an, of an NBA team, you have a lot of power and you have a lot of control. Um, but that was just the atmosphere, and they weren't afraid to tell him how they felt. Um, I, I do think that it's really interesting, you know, seeing Jordan finally get his first ring in 91, you know, after years and years of losing in the playoffs, and then the determination to get back and do it again in 92 and 93. And the one thing that I thought – the documentary might show more so far was the 97, 98 season. I feel like it's kind of shown little highlights here and there of how they struggled at the beginning of the year. You know, they didn't have Pippen for the first half of the season or whatever. He demands a trade in November and says, I'm not playing for the bulls again. And then realizes the smartest thing might be to get one more ring and finish out the season with Chicago, which he, we all know he ends up doing. Um, but just those little reminders throughout the 97, 98 season are, are kind of cool to see. And then it leads into them winning enough games to go to the playoffs but it shows them twice in that season losing to the jazz who of course they had just beat in 97 and of course we know they're about to play again in 98 um but you know we knew jordan was good in the playoffs but it's incredible to see how easy it was for him to just put up 45 47 55 points those are numbers that just you don't put up in the playoffs like that's rare uh rare to see yeah and he put up the numbers it was more likely for him to put up those ridiculous numbers than it was for him to ever score less than 20. And, you know, you, you look at those stats, it's so crazy. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the fact that he was so good in the eighties and yeah, the numbers said that he was a scorer who couldn't win the big one. And that was kind of the, the narrative that was, uh, you know, being built, which, it's crazy. It's still crazy today when you see that type of thing, when it was thrown on Kevin Durant before he goes to the Warriors. It was – every time it happens, it's crazy because uh, unless you are like Kobe from like one year, one year of Kobe just shooting crazy for no reason on a bad team, there are not – players who can score that many points oh and it's luck you know it's like there's guys who might be a 20 points a game scorer who on a bad team can you know ratchet that up to like 28 or something if you can score 37 and it's efficient particularly how efficient Jordan was uh there's no arguments about him not winning if he doesn't win it's because there's not a team around him and there wasn't and you know that to, to Jerry Krause's credit, he did put together those players, made those draft picks. Even the ones he got, you know, uh, crap for, he got crap for the Tony Kukoc, and we saw that in, uh, you know, the the sixth episode. And it's a good draft pick. Like, it was bad management by doing it in such a way that made your two stars on your team resent you and that player. 
But he like Tony Kukoc was a, a a really good international player. He was good for what he did for the Bulls on that team. He never ended up becoming the superstar that Jerry Krause thought he would. But those are some great picks and great moves. Uh, the you know getting rid of Charles Oakley was so important. And you know like first that pisses Jordan off. Eventually when he sees that oh I just gave you Pippen who ends up being a top five player in the league and is gonna help you deliver championships to Chicago, Jordan backed off a little bit. Um you you getting rid of uh you know whether it's Horace Grant and then you know eventually moving on to, to Rodman like the the moves that they made you know uh, it, it's kind of similar to watching um, Tom Brady, uh, you know, uh, get a bunch of championships and it's like, how much is the coaching? How much is the players around him? Some of it is success breed success and having Jordan and Pippen there with guys like Kraus who wanted to make the, the moves to keep getting them better, allowed them to stay on top as long as they did. And it, it's a group effort. But there's no doubt that Jordan is the driver. We didn't need this documentary to figure that out. Um, but it, it is still fun to watch. Uh, the interesting part is you get to these last couple episodes. We're getting now to a few of the negatives that Jordan did allow in. Um, it, it was funny. I, I just remember listening when Jordan said, uh, people are going to watch this documentary and not like me. You know, the documentary I signed off on and could get rid of bad scenes. I think he thought he did a decent job of trying to sell it, as any gambling addict does when they tell you they, they're not addicted. I'm not addicted. I can stop whenever I want to. Now, I have a competition problem. Yes, that's what gambling addicts say. You did not prove you're not a gambling addict, Jordan. And it's, it, it's, it was interesting. Another one that we kind of knew, but in terms of getting kind of the, the 360 view of it, because even at the time uh, – there weren't a lot of the the conversations that I think we have now where there's the, you know, the conspiracy theories in terms of uh, Jordan being uh, suspended from the league by uh, David Stern and that being why he left to go play uh, baseball for the, for the year and a half there, you know, that those conversations there, some of them were happening on Chicago radio, but the, the, like the conversation after, he goes to Atlantic city was not about his gambling addiction. It was about him not being the competitor that he said he was where he's, he just is all basketball all the time. And it's like, look what you're doing. You chose this over your team being rested to, to, for this playoff game. And it pissed Jordan off and pushed him to go even further to not only do well, but you know, once he got the third championship, he thought he proved everything uh, was wanted to step away from that spotlight, which uh, I, I find very interesting for a couple of reasons. We'll, we'll talk about the gambling for a bit. I do want to jump to uh, whether Jordan uh, was received overcritical coverage, which I, if you could tell from the smile on my face, I find to be a little bit ridiculous. But first, I want to get your take on the Gordon, the the Jordan gambling bit. How much were you aware of, uh, you know, growing up? How much over the last few years of people bringing it up all the time? And how much uh, did you think you learned from this documentary? Yeah, so I think that going into it, I knew that Jordan had been open about it to a certain extent. He had talked about gambling. Hey, I thought it was just one of those things where, you know, he'd go play around a golf with some guys and he'd gamble on who's going to have, who's going to shoot a better round, who's going who's gonna to get the par or the bogey or whatever. And then, of course, in the casinos. 
He's in a, whether it's blackjack, craps, roulette, I don't know what his game of choice is, but I knew he liked to frequent casinos and gamble a little bit. But this documentary goes a little deeper and it's on the plane home from, a, from an away game. They're playing cards with real money, not $5, like some of the teammates were, thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, and so there's that. And then, it's, and then it shows the, the, my, the, my favorite clip so far, tossing quarters, whoever can get the closest to the wall. So it was one of those things where Jordan was so competitive, he would turn everything into a contest and put money on it. And because he wanted someone else's money in his pocket. Like, that's just, that's just who he was. And so I was a little bit familiar. He had a gambling, you know, problem. But I didn't realize to what extent it was until, until watching this last couple episodes. And I think the perception of him, people obviously knew that. But I will say he's probably lucky he played in the 90s and not a decade and a half later in the age of social media. Because it would have been blown into a much larger thing um than it ever was in the 90s and then on top of that it also touches on the tribune the tribune sports writer sam smith and the book that he wrote in the early 90s that stirred up a little controversy about oh maybe the locker room's not as great as we thought it was maybe jordan belittles his teammates in practice and so he punches them in the face (laughs) yeah so it was definitely a a different era without the facebook and the twitter and, and the social media um but you know Jordan was, he wasn't trying to be a role model. He even said that. Like, he said, maybe it's selfish, but I was a basketball player. And I I appreciate his honesty more than anything else. Yeah, it always just reminds me, I don't know if you've seen Celtic Pride with uh, Damon Wayans, Dan Aykroyd, and uh, Daniel Stern. Uh, There's a whole moment, Damon Wayans is just doing this kind of parody of Jordan. And it's kind of like a mix between Jordan and Barkley's, I'm not a role model. Uh, but it's so, so freaking good. Uh, you don't need to watch the whole movie, but go find the clip on YouTube. I bet you can find pretty quickly the, the little infomercial thing that he does. Um, but yeah, no, that, that the being the role model thing definitely would have, I, I don't know what Jordan would have looked like with a 24 hour, uh, news cycle, uh, in the social media era where they, they stopped protecting athletes and it kind of happened with Jordan, but it's just funny to listen to it. Like Jordan was kind of, uh, you know, just dealing with this limelight in a way that it's like, wow, he's just such a big superstar. And then nobody gets examined this way. And it was like, well, he's a huge superstar, but there's like three people just sort of picking at it. And they didn't even do a great job of making it known, uh, throughout the country there there are little kids who grew up you know talk about he wasn't trying to be a role model but most of the kids got the role model side they never saw the other part so he was protected in a way that is crazy I would love to see kind of how it changed and you know it 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 is entirely the social media cycle that's kind of pushed that into into overdrive because even in the 2000s you know uh I you were talking about people gambling on the bus and that being like surprising that there's this many levels of Jordan gambling. I knew that stuff happened because I've read stories about, you know, the Washington wizards, Gilbert arenas, like they're playing, uh, I forget the name of the game cause it's so obscure, but NBA players have just latched onto this one particular card game and it, you can't be on an airplane going from, you know, one game to the next without gambling and without you know it can be a couple dollars but it's happening like you're going to be part of this you can it's almost impossible to be an nba player and avoid these little card games so with jordan uh, it, it was a little bit more of like how much he's gambling and the fact that 
so many of the situations were weird things like him facing off with a security guard in a coin toss game, which once again, once he lost that, it's like, I guess LeBron's number one of all time. I think that's clear right now, right? We all figured that out pretty quick. LeBron wouldn't have lost that guy in a coin toss game. Jesus. <laughs> the shoulder shrug was so good. So yeah, good. It's, uh, I was happy to see, you know, the episodes are, are always a little different. You know, this past week we learned about the dream, te- the dream team in 92 because before that you had college players that would represent the U.S. in the Olympics and that they were sick of getting beat. So they said, let's take the actual best American basketball players the pros, not the collegiate players, and let's put them and see what we can do. Well, we learned they're going to win every game by more than 30 points. Um, but it was just to see that much talent on a team and also the sodium of Isaiah Thomas getting left off. <laughs> and whose fault that was, we don't know. Jordan's going to say it wasn't him. I'm sure Burden Magic are going to say it's not him. But there was – it's Even the knew. answer <laughs> is Jordan keeping him off. Like, it's like tacitly. Like <laughs> – I that's a that's another great one because it's like what sort of cover was that like you guys planned this and you thought that worked you thought like that that's where I get back to Jordan kind of saying the idea I, I think he was trying to punk us I think when he said that people might watch this and not like me or you know hate me I think he thought he came out well and didn't realize some of these things didn't work and I think that's one of them I think it was pretty clear, like, the idea that he's talking on the phone with Rod Thorne and it's like, uh, you know, are you going to play? Well, who's on the team? Like, the guy you're worried about isn't on the team. It's like, that just says you told him you're not joining unless Isaiah Thomas is on the team. Just because you didn't say yeah. the name out loud. Like, you think that's like, maybe that's mafia keeping you out of prison, but we also know when we see a mafia guy, we're like, we know you're a criminal. You Like, you didn't hide it from us. So, yeah, there's moments like that that I think are they're, they're pretty funny. And, you know, I guess I feel bad for Isaiah Thomas to, to some degree because when you think about it, you know, that is such a big moment of bringing the NBA players to the Olympics to uh, just dominate. And we always talk about that 1992 team, you know. And for him to be left off that when he was, without a doubt, one of the best players at that time. And, you know, he's, he's at a point of his career where he, he, he took a dip and after injury and never got back to the level he was uh, when he was winning championships a few years before. But he was still a top guy, and there's no reason he shouldn't have been on that team. And on the side of team building, though, if you're Rod Thorne and you're like, I need Jordan and Pippen much more than I need Isaiah, then it it still makes sense. But it kind of sucks for him. It's just too bad that everything else Isaiah Thomas does uh, puts him in a position that we can't like him. Uh, you know, and this is well before uh, the, the sexual harassment stuff and, and his, his different failures as a, as a GM. Uh, just from the player and all of the, the moves he made, it, you could have seen him from an underdog aspect. You, the, the same way we talk uh, about these dynasties, like it was so rare for anybody that wasn't the Lakers or the Celtics to put together two championships in a row. Uh, the Lakers, you know, they did it twice. They did it once with Magic. Uh, I think the Celtics did it once. I might be wrong because there's a, a lot of those are just split up. Like over yeah. the 10 years, they won a bunch, but not back to back. For Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons to do that and for him to be the best player, uh, second best is Joe Dumars. Like, no offense to Joe, but that's not like having Pippen next to you. 
You know, that's not like having Magic and Worthy and you just keep going down the freaking list of Lakers players. The Celtics at any time had three Hall of Famers. Joe Dumars is a Hall of Famer only because of Isaiah Thomas. Not that he wasn't really good, but he wasn't a Hall of Famer without Isaiah pushing them to those championships. So there's all the reason to like Isaiah, except for all the dumb shit he does over and over again. Uh, where, where do you fall on the handshake that uh, – put uh, Jordan off. Do you think that's really the reason Jordan is mad at Isaiah Thomas? I think there's some more details that we don't know, but I will say I got to give credit to the Bulls. And in the late 80s, when they were losing in the playoffs, a lot of times to the Celtics or the Pistons, uh, they did shake hands after the game. Like, I I I don't think Jordan and Pippen ever left the court with seven seconds left. So I don't know all the details, but I will say when I saw that footage, uh, of the Pistons walking off the court before the game was over and just ignoring Chicago and not saying congrats, that's big. I, I think especially if it's a team that you would just beat back to back to back, like you're, you're beating them in the playoffs, then they come in and they sweep you, and they're, they're finally good enough that Jordan has the teammates, Jordan has the ability to carry them, and uh, I think that the Pistons were, were salty and, and they decided to just be immature about it. Um, so I don't know what else went on, but that in itself was enough for them to hold a grudge. I don't know if it was enough to hold Isaiah off the 92 dream team, whereas Christian Leitner made the dream team, but maybe they needed a forward instead of a guard. <laughs> it's know. true. It's a diff- different thing. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot more guards to pick from at that time frame. <laughs> uh, yeah. In terms of forwards, I still don't think Christian Leitner necessarily <laughs> needed to make the list. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think with the handshake, it, it is interesting because, you know, Isaiah Thomas points out, you know, it's like they, they pointed to the Celtics handshaking and Mikhail. And it's like, no, Mikhail tried to leave the court. Um, obviously, there was a feud there. What I thought was weird that they never showed any other teams. You know, it's like there should be some – like if Isaiah is telling us that this is kind of how it's done, why is there only the one instance of the Celtics <laughs> leaving and him forcing a handshake with Mikhail? So I, I just show me the other ones. Uh, but yeah, I think in that, I think Jordan had reason to be upset, but I think it's pretty clear that he was upset from when he got uh, froze out during an all-star game when he first got in the league and Isaiah Thomas wouldn't pass it to him. I think it's a hundred percent what caused that feud and anything that happened that, you know, uh, lent itself to Jordan creating uh, bulletin board material. We know that Jordan just does that for a living. So uh, I, I think some of those were much bigger than just the, the handshake issue. Although, you know, it, it, maybe that was a good turning point. Maybe it was a moment that Isaiah Thomas uh, went through the ringer, the Pistons went through the ringer, and we've seen much better at least uh, faking through that sportsmanship in those situations. And I think that's for the good of sports. I think that's good. Uh, you know, you see it at all the different levels of people going through the handshake line. And I uh, very rarely is anybody too uh, boisterous either uh, as a winner or as a sore loser. Uh, and that's good for the game of basketball. It's good for all sports. So uh, it, it ended well. But damn, if Isaiah could just stop messing up as much as he did, maybe there wouldn't be such weird conversations about how good he is because he should be up there in the conversations of all-time point guards, uh, especially what he was able to do in that time frame. When we're talking about Jordan fighting through these just tough defenses at the time, he like Isaiah was the first one to break down the door of this Lakers-Celtics uh, hegemony of uh, you know NBA Finals competitors. He was able to make it in there 
And as a barely six foot guard, as a 5'11 guard fighting through uh, that wreckage that was the paint during the 80s, uh, he deserves as much credit as we try to give Jordan for what he was able to accomplish, even though Jordan's championships came after they changed the rules to alter a lot of those. I mean, they were still rough, but uh, the, the 80s that they talk about, it's like Jordan accomplished a lot in the 80s. He didn't win the championships when they were doing that shit. And, and I don't think that should take away from what he accomplished, but when we start having dumb conversations and pretend people are great only by the number of rings they have, I think we need to start being careful with those type of weird generalizations we make. Like, look at what he did against these great teams. Like, that's not when he won the championships. That's not when that happened. So, uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff, a lot of good information that we found out there. Uh, what was I, I? We talked about the gambling. the The thing that I wanted to jump to. I'm, I've already forgot. I've already lost track of what the hell we're doing here. Other than uh, I think we hit all the big moments. I think we can we can actually get out of here early. We don't need to do a long podcast because we plan to be back uh, in a couple weeks to, to to finish up once all four episodes are out. I don't think we're going to be back next week just to do the the recap of these next two. But we're gonna we're gonna finish strong, and maybe then we will have our final LeBron versus MJ debate. I don't want to have that one now, but I do want to have this conversation because I did see this uh, on Facebook and I had to jump in immediately because you know me, uh, whenever somebody says something, I just have to immediately say they're wrong no matter what it was. Uh, One of the posts I saw was about who had the tougher competition when they played, LeBron or Jordan, which are different conversations. You can have who's the greatest of all time, but when you the talent of the league, and you know what they had to go up against not just who they faced in the playoffs but just the totality of what was there uh in the regular season in terms of the 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 competition night in and night out uh who do you think had the tougher competition to go up against during their career i think jordan's tough because you look at 84 to 91 i would say mj the the league in the late 80s was just so good and then the latter half 92 to 98 yeah, it was still good, but it, I don't think it was as strong. And so um, my first guess would be to say Jordan, but especially at the beginning of his career when he wasn't winning championships. Um, whereas LeBron has had a really tough competition. I think it's a little different because LeBron spent the first, what, 15 years of his career in the East before finally joining the West, and the East was never as strong. But that still doesn't mean he wasn't playing against the West. It just wasn't until the finals when he was playing against the best teams. Um, so short answer, I'm going to say Jordan, but that's mostly because of the first seven years of Jordan's career. All right. You're wrong, but it's okay. Um, this one I think is clear. It, it, it's LeBron because the league is just way better than it ever was. I mean, when you think of the type of players, like I'll, I'll give you the best argument, the, the shortest way to this answer. So LeBron and Jordan both went through what's like the MVP kind of malaise where they've won so many years, even though most people still think they're the best player, the sports writers are like, all right, who else are we going to give this to? Cause there's no point in giving them like eight in a row or whatever. Right. So when that happened, the last year that it happened, you go 98, right? Jordan was the best player. Undoubtedly. Carl Malone gets the award which Carl Malone had a lot of MVP caliber seasons. He didn't have that in 98. Like, the, the, he was, what, 35 when he won it, which is just stupid. So it's like, 
ah, we've given it to this other. Let's give it to an up-and-comer, Carl Malone. Like, no, it was just ridiculous that Carl Malone was the winner. When you look at his stats, and I forgot to pull this up, so that's my bad, but I think he was averaging, like, 28 and, like, 9.7, like, just under, like, 10 rebounds a game, something like that. And you're just like, okay, that's, that's not too bad. Now you look at what Giannis is doing. And Giannis this year is the clear number one. But last year he had an MVP season. They got beat out by another guy. Like, they, they, you just go down the list of, like, years where Harden is putting up stats that, okay, he doesn't play defense, but offensively he's putting up the numbers that Jordan did in his heyday. You're looking at you, – there's, like, six guys that – this isn't, like – pity to give them an MVP they earn it like LeBron takes uh some breaks during the regular season and then comes into the playoffs ready to go proving he's the best again and again and again he did that for most of the 2010s there are guys who earned it that's not what happened in Jordan's latter stages of his career that he was the best player by a mile even as he was no longer like you, you take prime Jordan of like I don't know 87 to like 93 like he is in another world. He is so much better than everybody else on the court. He is so much better than the Jordan he was after that when he won three more championships. And to see him go up, he was still head and shoulders above the next best player in the NBA at any point in time during his career. LeBron has that many guys, and a lot of them have teamed up, just as he's teamed up with other players. The the number of stacked teams now like you just think of like all the white guys that Jordan just passed the ball to because he had to John Paxson taking a three and like look at players now like there are sinners that can dribble better than John Paxson like that's where we are right now and I don't mean some sinners most of them the league's talent level is so much higher than it's ever been and that's not just from a bot that's not just like the lower level guys have to be that much better because the league uh, has more money and you're able to pay guys. And so everybody practices at a high level. You don't have milkmen anymore that are doubling as NBA players. It's not just getting past that lead, that era of the NBA. It's that the top end guys are freaking monsters. Like LeBron used to be a unicorn. Now there's eight of them. Like now Kawhi Leonard's coming in and he's like, oh, I'm going to put together the defensive length of Scottie Pippen and I'm going to shoot mid-range jumpers like I'm Jordan. I'm going to win championships now. That's one of six guys who can argue they're the best player in the NBA right now. Like, it, it, it's so much better than it was. And I know I, I, yeah, I'm just very quickly jumping in at Carl Malone and there, there were other guys. Akeem Olajuwon was amazing in the early 90s. Uh, even guys, Patrick Ewing isn't thought of as being as good as he should be because Jordan snuffed it out. I get it. There's, there's a lot more guys, but without a doubt, I, I don't know how you can look at what the league does. Look at the type of guys where Steph Curry, uh, try to find anybody that played point guard before 2000 that can dribble anywhere like Steph Curry can. Also, he's the greatest shooter ever. Like, you're just not going to find guys with those skill sets. The, the league has gotten to a level where it's not the same. And that doesn't change. If anything, I think that helps Jordan's argument for greatest of all time because you compare him against the people you played against. And LeBron has people that are of his caliber. They haven't done it for as long, and there's a reason why he's in the argument for the greatest of all time. He's kept himself at that level for so long that he's there and he's going to have most of the career records before he's done. Jordan was better than every player around him pretty much two years into the league. There were arguments that it was year one once they let him play the way he wanted to play. Jordan was the best player in the NBA, and he stayed that way 
up until he left the, the second time. Uh, Wizards will just pretend it didn't happen. But I, I think that the argument helps Jordan, but I think it's very clear LeBron faced the tougher competition throughout his career. I can get on board with the NBA being so much better now than it was 25 years ago and, and the players just being so good and putting up numbers and, and highlight reels like we haven't seen. Um, I think that it just gets tricky for me because it's a different style. Um, I, the referees jump in so much faster now, and I know it's not a big deal, but I, I miss like – you used to be able to punch someone and not even get a foul. Like the stuff that would happen after a play – like they would get scuffles under the basket. They would do a lot of stuff. And so I kind of miss it. But I, I understand your argument. And I think that Steph is a great example because we've never seen a guard like Steph Curry. And he's only, what, like 31 now? He, could, he might play eight more years. I don't know. But what he's already accomplished. And even before the team got, like, obviously Durant made him great. And obviously he has some good teammates. But even Steph by his third year, I mean, he was great. And then all of a sudden, obviously, we see what Golden State does. But um yeah no i i'm excited we'll uh we'll hold off but i'm excited to argue a little lebron versus mj next time so i don't think it's gonna be as fun as you think it is because i do not have the hardline stance that it might seem like whenever we argue it it's just you have the hardline stance and i have to combat that um but no i i think with the the players and you know guys like steph curry you, you can make arguments for like the style of play and how rough it was it's not like they played good defense. Let's stop lying about what that was. Like, okay, it's rough, but there are people that will tell you that LeBron couldn't have played in that era. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like Jordan was putting up 37 and he weighed like a buck 95. Like LeBron would have steamrolled half of these guys. Like get out of here. And I, I'm not saying he would have done better. Cause I think that's just as crazy for people like, Oh, Jordan with these rules, he would have done so much. Like, are you kidding me? They've built like, once you get rid of illegal zone defense, they have built more complex defenses. Like I get people watch the regular season and they think there's no defense played in the NBA, but anybody who's watched the playoffs knows the defense is way more sophisticated than it's ever been. Jordan would have still eight, but he's not going to do more than he did. Get out of here with that craziness. Like they actually have smart, like defensive concepts that push people off. Like Steph's only stopped by the fact that they're able to play one man off of a guy, something that was illegal while Jordan was winning. I don't know how Curry would have done in the eighties because he already had some broken ankles and some, some issues that he might not have survived physically. I think LeBron would have, uh, but in the nineties, Curry would have ate those guys alive. It, like, it wouldn't even have been close. Like, they would have been trying to push him around, and they would have just pushed him into an open three-pointer. Like, they, they couldn't have stopped him. One-on-one with illegal zone defense, Curry, Curry's the only one. Like, I'm not even going to go LeBron. Curry would have – his points in the 90s would have been outrageous. I don't know what they would have been, but if he was on a team where he's the only scorer, holy God, it would have been like the Jordan 80 years on steroids. Like, no yeah. doubt. And he would have won games just by the point differential, just by they didn't know how to keep up with three versus two. I can get on board with that. Uh, real quick, is anything you want to see in the final, like, four episodes, episodes seven through ten, or anything you're, you're anticipating? I, I don't think there's anything that really stands out. I will say, uh, try to bring this around to where we started. You talked about how you weren't a Jordan fan when it happened, which surprised me a little bit uh, based on your hardline stance for why he's the best ever and nobody's ever going to get close. But uh, I was also uh, growing up, my my uh, older brother 
was a jazz fan. He was a big Carl Malone fan. And, you know, I was too young to, to really know what was going on uh, at the time. But uh, he would root for the jazz, and I would. And uh, Jordan ripped our hearts out. Uh, I remember that. I remember the pain more than any of the games or what happened. I mean, I, I do remember specifically that final game six in 98 that was just Jordan, you know, like I look back on it now, like, holy God, like you, you see it positively. Like I, it was amazing. To do that. All I saw was screw this man. Like this, my team was ready to win and he stole it. He stole it from us literally when he stole Carl Malone and went down court and scored. But that those moments uh, are crazy. And I don't know if I have anything that I want to see from the final four episodes. I think if anything, I'm excited for how much this inspired me that if I get time, uh, I really want to come into this next pod uh, and actually have seen some of the games in full. And I know they've put them on NBA app. They've put uh, a bunch onto ESPN. Uh, I want to go back and watch a couple classic Jordan games and like have us kind of talk about, break down a little bit of the film. Uh, I think that would be a fun way for us to do this final episode now that we knocked out most things. So uh, we come in, we talk about the four episodes, whatever ends up happening that we need to cover. We're going to talk about why LeBron is the best player of all time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, a couple of the games that we end up watching. So that's homework. That's what I'm going to give you. Uh, but right. We'll be back. We'll be talking about that. And who knows uh, at some point, uh, I'll find time to actually watch things and we'll actually uh, get to do a Q crew podcast on a, on a few different shows that we've been looking at. Uh, I know you watched uh, Dave, and I still haven't been able to start. I, have, I just had so many things in my way. And at some point, though, we are going to watch it. We are going to talk about it because it seems very interesting. Uh, but there's going to be a lot more in store. Uh, you know, not trying to do a special announcement here. But let's just say that uh, in about a week, I'll, I'll have a full week to knock out a bunch of podcasts. So we're going to try to do it all at one time uh, and, and, and make sure that all fits into my schedule. So get ready, Colin, because it's all about right. to be really fun. Thanks Let's for coming, it. Colin. Uh, that's it. That's all we have for this episode of the Q Crew on the Tell Me More podcast. Later, folks. Later, folks.